Good Sunday morning. Rashini Rajkumar here. You are listening to Your Money on WCCO Radio with hosts Bruce and Peg. You can text and call us today on the studio line 651-989-9226. All week, of course, you can ask your questions of Peg and Bruce at 888-6-ADVICE or email them your money at wealthenhancement.com. Today, before we get into our topic and take your calls and texts, we're going to take a moment to remember a special WCCO Radio employee. Just one week ago, we found out very unexpectedly that Dan Colhane had passed. Due to complications from COVID, he was battling cancer. He was truly a very loved coworker of ours. And also, Bruce, I know, meant a lot to you and this show. Yeah, Rashini, uh, uh, thank you for, for doing that. I think it's appropriate that we do that. Um, when people hear a radio show, they hear the on-air people, but they don't know all the people behind the scenes that, that contribute. And uh, I, I was shocked when I heard the news. I did not know uh, Dan was uh, that sick. I'd he'd been through uh, a couple of things, and but I didn't know it was that bad. But it's just it, it really brought COVID to the surface again for me. I think Dan is really the only person that I've, had in my life a friend or a loved one in my life that uh, that uh, that I've lost due to COVID. So it really reminds us, it reminds everybody, we're not done with this yet. Everybody, it's uh, I know it seems like it's getting better, and it's uh, reason for optimism with the vaccines. But uh, stay diligent until we're fully past this thing, and it's going to be a while. But yeah, that's very very sad, and just uh, uh, Dan will be missed. I just I I I don't know what to say. It just really stunned me. Peg, you got to know him a little bit too over the last few years. Yeah, so Dan actually was uh, in the studio with us and had kind of a dry sense of humor, but actually (laughs) (laughs) got me laughing uh, for sure. And and he's very young. I think we should mention that. This is not, you know, uh, an older person. This is someone that, Bruce, you and I could really relate to, and, and he will be missed. Well, and, yeah, and, and that you mentioned how funny and, and the dry sense of humor. My thing with Dan is we both understood each other's goofy comedy movie references that no one else got. I, <laughs> I, I got his, he got mine, so we had the same kind of sense of humor and watched the, uh, the same movie. So, yeah, Dan will be missed. This is, uh, it was really, really sad news. But um, let's, let's get on the, the – keep moving forward and talk a little bit about uh, – we thought today – we would talk about money mistakes, financial mistakes that we see clients making and actually break it down by age or by generation because different generations do have unique issues uh, uh, from from people of a different age or we see more common errors in certain uh, points of life. And so let's, let's give our listeners kind of a warning. And anyone can make a mistake, and we all do, but if we can minimize these or correct these, we can certainly enhance our chances of retiring when we want to with the lifestyle that we want to and not have to worry about running out of money. So uh, probably the obvious uh, age group to start with and the biggest one, and with uh, due respect, I know there might be some people listening that are uh, of the greatest generation or older than baby boomers, but we thought we'd start with baby boomers, everyone born between 1946 in 1964 is where we define the boomer generation. 
Yeah, Bruce, I would agree with you that every generation has their mistakes, and we'll just go over a couple that we have witnessed as uh, comprehensive planners over the years. But, uh, you know, there's challenges, there's roadblocks, there's um, things that we talk about on this show often. And when you talk about the baby boomers, you know, everybody believes that that's just the largest uh, percentage of people out there. But I was actually shocked that it's not really the largest. It's equally as large as some of the ones that are upcoming. But probably the biggest uh, decision that, that people have to make in their baby boomer years is Social Security. We did a whole show on this a couple weeks ago. And also, I believe we'll do another show soon because it's so complex. And so when we talk about mistakes, there probably isn't something, Bruce, that you made that's just so horrific that you're not going to get the money from Social Security. That's not it. It's, you know, at what point do you start taking it? Do you consider uh, how long you're going to live? Do you consider if you're married, you know, how that would reflect on the person that you're married to? And if you want to leave a legacy, all points that we make often on this show. But it, it kind of makes sense that we would talk about that one first because it's such a big decision. And once again, I, I just encourage people to get help, whether it's the Social Security Administration or a financial advisor, to help walk through uh, the details on, on making that decision. Yeah, you mentioned, uh, and, and that's I like that, what you said, Peg, that this, we've done whole shows on this and we'll do more shows on this because it is so complicated and it is so important. So to throw it in here as kind of a subset of another show, we're not going to give it as much time today. But, uh, again, it, the Social Security Administration themselves estimate that about 75%, three out of every four people in this country, when they exercise their benefits, they get it wrong and they're leaving money on the table. And it, once you make the decision, it's permanent. If you figure out later, you know, that you – didn't maybe do it the most efficient way, you really can't go back and correct it. So you want to try to get this right. And, you know, Peg, the one that, that, that I'll, I'll just say a little bit more, you know, you mentioned legacy planning, and, and I do all the time with clients also, and that's one that people, for whatever reason, don't seem to think about. They understand they have to look at what other assets they have. They understand they look at their health or what they think their longevity will be. But when I say legacy planning, they go, what, what does that have to do with it? And for listeners that don't know, legacy planning means is it a high priority for you to leave something for kids or grandkids or other loved ones or charities? Or do you have the attitude that, no, I want to spend my last dollar the day I take my last breath? And, and that's not wrong or selfish because people will say, my kids have way more money than I'll ever have. They don't need my money or, or whatever. But the reason it's important to know that is because if leaving a legacy is a high priority, you're more likely to want to take your Social Security uh, benefits sooner because when you pass away, your kids aren't going to get your Social Security check. But when you pass away, they will inherit your assets, your investments. And so a lot of people want to preserve their investments and, and not spend those or spend less there and take Social Security instead. So whether or not leaving a legacy is a high priority is a very relevant question when we try to determine how and when to draw those benefits. And then what intertwines in that is your health. 
so what is your health situation? Now you're a baby boomer. You're somewhere between 74 years old and 56 years old. That's kind of the sweet spot for, hey, am I doing okay? Or, you know, am I concerned that my health is, is failing? And why is that such a big deal? Because you just mentioned uh, Social Security and legacy and how long you're going to live. And then uh, another mistake is not keeping health care expenses in mind as you're investing or working with your financial advisor to make sure that they're up to speed, too, on health-related issues. I truly have my arms around my clients and know if they have a health issue. Well, how do I know? Because I ask probing questions. I feel like as an advisor, I need to know. I need to get my arms around the clients um, to be able to guide them. And then when it comes to long-term plans, uh, long-term care plans, you know, I also need to know what's the plan. Are we saving for it? Are we going to buy a policy to leverage on an insurance company? Are we notifying the children that that's something that um, you see them helping with and in turn possibly getting them more legacy dollars, you know, if they pitch in and help. Uh, so health is, is a big deal. So, um, and then the other one in this, this category, Bruce, is just taking too much of your required minimum distribution. Now, this is really on the tail end of baby boomers, um, you know, understanding required minimums. The reason I only want to mention this today is because while you're in your younger baby boomer age, you can start to strategize and get your buckets positioned to not be all tax deferred with a huge IOU to the IRS. I still stress, Bruce, that the people who come to see me today as referrals from my clients or, or they heard us on the radio show or they're calling into Wealth Enhancement Group, most people love to defer any taxes. And then on the back side, though, when you retire, it's harder to uh, keep your tax bracket low when you then are at the mercy of the government when you hit this retirement distribution age. Yeah, I, I want to touch on, on both of those, and those are really both really good points. Um, so we are not saying that deferral is not a good thing. So most people accumulate this wealth in their company retirement plan, and there's a lot of advantages to participating. It's easy. You don't have to do anything. They just withhold your contribution from your paycheck. Oftentimes, your employer has some sort of a matching contribution. So if you don't participate, you're leaving money on the table. You get a deduction for the contribution. So the year that you make that contribution, it reduces your taxable income and thus reduces your taxes. And it defers the tax. You don't get any 1099s until you actually withdraw the money out of these accounts. But then when you withdraw the money, you're going to pay taxes at ordinary income tax rates, and therein can be the problem. If you defer too much too long, your required minimum distribution might kick you up into a higher tax bracket. You might end up paying $0.22 cents on the dollar on your IRA or your retirement plan withdrawals, where maybe with proper planning, you could have done it at $0.12 cents on the dollar and saved 10%. And so you're right, Peg. People always want to defer the tax, defer the pain. But sometimes, you know, you, you can pay now or you can pay later. And sometimes you're better off paying now because you're going to pay at a lower rate. And we help clients figure that stuff out. We don't look at reducing your taxes 
just for the current tax year. We look at reducing your taxes cumulatively over your right your lifetime, and sometimes that means paying more in the short term. And then I also want to go back. You mentioned health, and it's really smart that you did because and we've talked about it some on this show, but maybe not enough. Your health and your personal financial success are so interrelated, and the costs associated with health after you retire, I think people, um, if, they, if they really know that number, it can be staggering and intimidating, and it shouldn't. Just know that you have to plan for it. And what I see there sometimes with baby boomers is they want to get too conservative too soon. They look at potential losses in the market or retraction in the market, and when they think of risk, they think of risk of principle. But I think of risk as the risk of running out of money before you die, and you need some growth or some exposure to stocks almost at all points of your life, including baby boomers, to get enough return to keep pace with inflation and to pay for the rising costs of health care, the rising costs that you're going to have living longer. And so you don't want to get too conservative too fast. Uh, and so understanding that, understanding health costs, uh, helps people understand why we coach them to save and invest the way we do and why we still want them to have, most of the time, some exposure to growth or stocks. Well, now let's talk about the Generation X. And um, All I, those I, kids. <laughs> hey, just so you know, I've, I've not, we're not too far away from this category, Bruce. So Maybe, um, maybe you're not. <laughs> <laughs> but this category of people actually are thinking they're younger than they are. So I can relate to that. Uh, it's time that many of you start thinking, you know, longer term, um, getting a handle on what have you saved. I often say on this show you know, if you, a lot of this generation, too, got young, got married young, you know, they had their kids, and then their kids control their calendar until they're probably 25, now maybe 30 years old, and then all of a sudden, Bruce, at 50 years old, you look at each other and say, what about us? We should be thinking about us because we're going to soon want to retire, and I hear this story often. Uh, let's take care of the kids, let's get them on their way, let's get them through college, and then now we need to start planning uh, for us. I would disagree that that would be the right way to do it, that um, you should keep yourself in mind all decades from the time that you start working. So you, you tend to fail to scale your savings to your increased earnings because who doesn't love to get a bonus or a surprise of some kind of money? Well, most of us help the economy when that happens, meaning, oh, we wanted to get new windows. We wanted the deck. We wanted to redo the driveway. I mean, it's endless. Um, So, but that generation has to now, because they are a little bit behind, they have to look at at least saving 10% 10% of their earnings, Bruce. Yeah, and I think sometimes they start out doing that, and then as they, they get raises and make more money, all the extra income goes into lifestyle, and they forget to also increase their saving and investing to keep it at 10%. And so that's one that I catch clients on uh, a lot. Then the other one that's uh, because, you know, you're 55 to 40, you tend to, if you need more money, you'd want to dip into your retirement accounts because you've had some time to save 403B. And uh, we, we believe that's a mistake. That should be the absolute last resource. 
And I know that, you know, you can borrow money out and you can pay yourself through work. And But what we're finding is, is not everyone is staying at the same employer anymore. And then the minute you actually change jobs, if you did borrow money from your 401k, that's immediately taxable. And, um, and also there's a 10% penalty, you know, if you're under 59 and a half. So, we just it has to be an extreme case for us to say it's okay to borrow against that type of savings. Yeah, I never say never, but that's that's when I'd say really, really, really rarely and really last resort. Then we've got these millennials and this group is actually almost as big and actually a little bit bigger than the baby boomers. Not many people know that, but they're between 25 and 39 years old and soon to be turning 40. And 40 is kind of a magic age. I think it's you still feel young, but, you, but you've, you've grown in your career, and now it's time to really take advantage of uh, maxing out those 401Ks, looking for other retirement accounts that you can save in. Start building up some after-tax money. I call that the most precious money you could have. If you've already paid your IOU to the IRS on that money, then I find that more precious because on the backside, when you want to start spending it, you have a lot more freedom um, and not so much weight from Uncle Sam. So, And then also, even at 40 years old, you have time to compound your money. Many folks don't retire until 65, and so that's 25 years, uh, which is a really... Uh, still a long time. And then, Bruce, you already mentioned uh, being too conservative with those baby boomers. This category of people, I've, I've actually witnessed it, where they've gone through, you know, um, watching the 2008-2009 crash, and then now we got this COVID thing. And, and they want to lessen their risk at that young age. And so we truly discourage that, create, you know, these long buckets and be be confident that they are your long buckets and leave them alone in the ups and downs because historically it's always worked out. Yeah, I'm shocked how often I encounter somebody in this age group with a retirement plan, IRA or 401k, and it's sitting in, or a lot of it's sitting in money market or cash. And I'm like, no, this is the money that you want to be the most aggressive with because it's the longest time horizon. You're probably not going to use this money until... 59 and a half at the earliest and maybe even much later than that. So, yeah, I still see it all the time, and it drives me crazy. Then the last one is the Generation Z. Uh, they are 24 years old to 8 years old. Well, let's just talk about kind of the late teens and the early 20s. But they're acquiring so much debt, and it's all because of the college costs. And our society kind of thinking that everyone needs a degree to get any type of job. And so we truly want to coach them to not take on bad debt. And and college costs can be somewhat of a good debt if it's actually going to assist you in getting a higher paying job. The other thing is, is when you're young, and I say this often on this show, you are rich in youth. Lots of times young people admire, you know, uh, hot, crazy little convertible cars, but usually it's a 60-plus person driving it because they can afford it. But the young people are looking and admiring and wishing they could buy that today. But the way you do that is you start saving when you're super young. And the 
the power of compounding, I can't stress that enough, that I believe that the Generation Zs are um, much more valuable than a baby boomer today just because they have so much time. Yeah, time is uh, is on your side, so to speak. And uh, I know we're about due for a break, and uh, we didn't get to any listeners yet in the first segment. But really quickly before we go to break, Rashini, uh, you can tie Gen Z back in with baby boomers because so many baby boomers, bag, and you see this too, are what we call sandwich generation. They're still helping their unlaunched uh, adult children, and at the same time they might have to help aging parents and this is a problem in this country and we'll talk more about that on future shows but uh, I know we're about due for a break Rashini and then listeners drop us in the second half yeah we have a lot of texts already that have hit the text lines you can call and text us 651-989-9226 I'm seeing questions about social security about long-term investing so some great questions as well as and I'll give you a little teaser Peg and Bruce asking about financial advisors certifications and the kinds of questions to ask to make sure your financial advisor has the right ones. You're listening to Your Money on WCCO Radio. We'll be back. More of Peg and Bruce. Call us at 651-989-9226. All right, we are back. Rashini Rajkumar along with your host Bruce and Peg on Your Money. Phone and text lines are open, 651-989-9226. And, of course, we have so much great information, or Peg and Bruce do, and are eager to answer your questions. Let's kick things off, Peg and Bruce, with this one. With all the big spending government bills that will need to be eventually paid, do you think it's possible it would cost people more than the benefit they will receive in terms of inflation, higher taxes, and interest rates? That's a very thoughtful question, um, and, and just kind of to bring people up to speed that might not know, uh, the, the $1.9 trillion, uh, and, I, and they always name these plans, Peg. I can't remember what the name of this one is, that's some patriotic name, but uh, it now uh, has passed in the Senate. I think the vote was 50 to 49 with one person not voting, and now it goes back for a little more, uh, uh, maybe some more adaptations to Congress where it's expected to pass, and then it will go to President Biden for signature. But, you know, just to expand that question a little bit, Peg, and uh, give you a chance to comment, that is a question I get a lot from clients. I'll paraphrase a little bit and say, what is this debt that the country has and this deficit spending, what is this going to do to the economy? And it affects me because, you know, how does it impact my 401K or my retirement plan? Um, and and the, the the deficit spending or the paying you know, for things to help people that have suffered through COVID is a concern, and it is a question I get fairly frequently. <clears throat> yes, it is. And one of the ways that I try to describe it to my clients is, <clears throat> is uh, when you take on debt, you have monthly payments. Let's just say I bought, you know, a $10 million house. And I'm going to be dramatic here because it tends to hit the point. And I was able to, to afford to make the monthly payment. And as long as I make the monthly payment um, and my house, you know, continues to go up in value, and even if it doesn't, then I'm going to be okay on that 30-year mortgage. With the government, uh, they also have lots of real estate and houses and buildings and, and assets. 
And they have a big IOU to everyone who bought treasuries, you know, that um, are, are supporting or creating this debt. So as long as the government has revenue to be able to pay the monthly payment, then I don't see it as a problem. Now, that, that carries a lot more risk individually, my example of me, and then it, it also carries a lot of risk, you know, for the United States. Because the more debt that they take on is, is the more, um, you know, risk per month that they can make payments. And, they're, and it's like a balancing act. It has to, the value of the uh, assets have to uh, be higher than the debt or you'll go upside down. Yeah, I like the way you explain that. And I, I like the analogy and it's very similar. I, this maybe even came up as recently as last week. I always equate it also to a personal financial statement like an individual and if your debt goes up it's not a bad thing if your assets go up more than your debt does it's a stronger balance sheet and and I also mentioned I think last week I want to be very very clear that both sides of the aisle Republicans and Democrats right or wrong agree that there should be some sort of stimulus they disagree on how what the amount of that uh, stimulus should be and how those and how that help should be divvy, uh, divvied out. Uh, I know Senate Minority uh, Speaker Mitch McConnell has said this bill is just a wish list for the Democrats. Um, so so they agree that help is needed, but again they disagree on how to do it and how much it should be. But what uh, what politicians are banking on is that this stimulus plan will help the economy in the long term, help people keep their jobs or find new jobs if they've lost their job, and, and will inspire the economy so that the net-net result, a stronger GDP, like Peg said, um, if that happens, if we have a stronger GDP, we're not hurt by the more debt. But if it doesn't work and we go into recession and GDP shrinks, then, yes, this debt is definitely going to be uh, a problem in the future. But I... I I, I agree with Peg. I am not overly concerned at this point. In fact, I've said publicly, I've said on the show before, uh, I'm very bullish on the economy and on the market once we are really past this pandemic. All right, Peg and Bruce, I want to get to this texture because they texted in even before the show started today. Great show. Thank you. Do Bruce and Peg have CFP credentials, a.k.a. certified financial planners? What is their schooling? Great question. Peg, talk a little bit about uh, the various designations uh, in our industry. Yeah, so Certified Financial Planner um, has gotten a lot of publicity and more and more people know about it. But it's a designation that requires uh, an individual to pass a Certified Financial Board of Standards exam. And to qualify and probably pass that exam, you have to go through extensive studies, and it's a three-year program, six different modules that you go through. Uh, and also, it's, it's, it's a fiduciary. So like Wealth Enhancing Group has been a fiduciary since we've opened our doors, which just means absolutely do the right thing that's in the best interest of the client, no conflicts of interest. And so when it comes to other designations, there's many. Like if you're a money manager, you could be a certified financial analyst, and there's others. But as uh, the job that I do and that Bruce does, certified financial planner is one of the highly regarded ones. I personally 
went through all six modules and went through the the um, the basically the, passed all six modules. Uh, back in 2006, I decided not to sit for the exam only because of uh, life being very busy and Wealth Enhancement Group being very busy, and so just didn't sit for the exam, so I can't use the title. But what I, what I, what, what I do have is lots of experience. And so the, I, what I like is that the experience and any degree, you know, um, you have to ask questions on both before you hire someone. Yeah, I think knowing uh, professional designations is one of the questions you should ask when you're out, uh, if you're out shopping and looking for advisors. And I also, I don't have the CFP, and uh, I'm not defensive about it or embarrassed by it. Uh, I started to go through it uh, years ago when I was young in this industry, and again, for reasons that nobody cares about, I never finished it. Um, but we have a ton of CFPs at Wealth Enhancement Group, as well as uh, CPAs and JDs, and um, I and Peg have different designations, and there's a lot of other designations. And so, yes, knowing that your advisor or your team of advisors, and that's kind of a differentiator for Wealth Enhancement Group, what their technical expertise is, is an important question. It's one of many. It's certainly not the only question. And I've said this before, I've known CFPs that I wouldn't trust with a nickel, um, and I've known people that aren't CFPs that are great advisors, both inside and outside of Wealth Enhancement Group. So the professional designation is something to be aware of and consider and ask about. Are they qualified? But there's a lot of other variables that I would consider as well. And, Peg, do you remember there, there's, a, there's a listener to the show, and one time I think they were trying to, you know, uh, be critical of us because they, they actually brought up our lack of a CFP on the show and they referred to us as marketing people. And I, mm. and I just, I just want to say I was a financial advisor um, and highly regarded one for a lot of years before anybody asked me to host a radio show and before I became a marketing person. So um, you and I both have got 30 plus years in this industry and we have a lot of really smart people at Wealth Enhancement Group, and yes, a lot of people that are smarter than, than I am, but I can learn from them and use them and make sure that we give clients the best possible advice. All right, we have about 12 minutes left with Peg and Bruce. Get in your calls and text 651-989-9226. This listener says, if your children are minors and you take Social Security in the year you reach full retirement, they are eligible as well. It gave them 34000 toward college. Little known benefit. And that would be, uh, Rashid, can you read that one more time, please? Sure. It sounds like they're saying this is a little-known benefit. If your children are minors and you take Social Security in the year you reach full retirement, they are eligible as well. Oh, Peg, did you know that? Yeah. Yeah, I did, only because um, we, we have a cheat sheet on our desk. And actually, it's coming up more and more because people are either getting married later or they're remarrying and have a second marriage and, and let's say the guy is, you know, older and the woman is younger or vice versa, the woman is older. But it, it, when you retire, if you're 62 or older um, and you're caring for your child that's under 16 or disabled if under 22, then 
they can actually uh, get a payment as well. It doesn't affect your payment um, at all. You know, so you get your regular payment, but they get some additional money. And then if you have unmarried children under 18 or up to 19 in high school or any age if disabled by 22, so there are benefits. And I've had clients uh, that have gotten these benefits and actually went absolutely just like the, the, uh, the email said or the text said, used it for college. You know, as you elaborated a little bit, it did come back to me somewhere in the back of my brain. I had some of that information stored. But um, when, I, when, when Rashini first read it, I was thinking strictly in terms of survivor benefits as opposed to retirement benefits. And sometimes that can be confusing for people, the difference between survivor Social Security benefits or disabled Social Security benefits or retirement benefits. They're all slightly different and calculated slightly differently. But I'm glad you knew the detail on that because I – I would not have known that off the top of my head. So all good reasons to have a financial advisor. All right, here's another <laughs> yeah. question. Curveball in finance from this listener. Legal issue in litigious America. How could a lawsuit or legal issue upset your financial planning or financial health? That's a great question. And, you know, what comes to mind for me right away, Peg, um, we've all heard these, you know, dramatic horror stories. Uh, and the one that comes to mind for me is somebody – I don't remember the exact dollar amount, but became, you know, very financially well off because they spilled hot coffee on their lap at a drive-through window. Um, so, uh, you want to talk about this at all? Uh, what angle were you thinking? Well, here's the road I was going to go down. One of the ways to protect yourself or to, or to dig the moat around your castle a little deeper from, and and the and the texture is right. This, this is a very litigious society we live in today, but we always recommend people go get what's called the slang as an umbrella policy. The technical term is personal liability insurance, and all the property and casualty agents out there should love Peg and I and Wealth Enhancement Group because we coach our clients if they don't have an umbrella to go get an umbrella policy. Um, it gives you more personal liability protection, and it can protect you from a, a frivolous lawsuit and protect your assets because we always say it doesn't matter how much money you accumulate. Uh, there's a lot of reasons you might not get to keep it. And be, if someone uh, if someone slips on your sidewalk and uh, and gets hurt and is crippled and can't work again, you're going to get sued. And and uh, this umbrella insurance for a very very low cost really offers greater protection. So that's where my brain went. I don't know if your brain went somewhere else or not. Well, now that you're, you brought it, that angle up, another thing we recommend is um, we do have legal people on our roundtable, and they are always recommending if you have a, a rental or, you know, you're retired and you want to dabble in a business or something like that to set up a limited liability corporation versus having all the liability on your hard-earned savings for your whole life. So, just if you're going to go try to make a buck after you retire or have a side business, make sure that you go talk to an attorney, you know, or your financial advisor to get uh, limited liability advice. That's, that's, I'm glad you thought of that. I didn't even think of it. I have three, I think three sub-S and limited liability corporations that I don't even remember all the reasons why tax people and, and legal people told me to have them. But I have them, and I didn't even think of that. I'm glad you thought of it. 
All right, Peg and Bruce here, a couple good retirement questions. This person says, can you have both a simple IRA and a Roth? Simple and a Roth, Peg? Absolutely. A simple IRA is, um, you know, you're self-employed, and it, you, you uh, can put a percentage of your in, income in there along with a, a traditional, is what I would call it, Roth. So you absolutely can do both. Yeah, and just to add clarity to that, so the rules with regarding how much you can put in IRA, um, the government or the IRS doesn't differentiate between traditional IRA and Roth in terms of how much can you contribute. So if you're under the age of 50 years old in 2021, you can put $6,000 into IRAs. Um, and now, you may be restricted from Roth contributions if your income is too high, because if you make too much money, they phase you out. Or you might be restricted from deducting a traditional based on your retirement plan at work and your income and some other variables. But you can put up to 6000 or if you're 50 or older, there's a $1,000 catch-up provision for a total of $7,000. But, but whatever that total is, let's say you're under 50 and you can do up to 6000 you can do 3000 traditional and 3000 in Roth. You can do 4000 and 2000. You can do 6001 and 0 in the other, but you're limited to 6000. You can't do 6000 in a simple and 6000 in a Roth. You're 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 limited to a total of 6000. And peg, are the is the is the amount you can put in is it different in a simple than in a traditional? It is. It's actually based on your taxable income. Oh, yeah, that you yeah. made in your business. And All you right, can this actually person, do oops. it for employees too, right? Correct. Okay. All right, this person says, I'm a 58-year-old retired teacher. I retired under the rule of 90. Can I take money from my 403B without the 10% penalty? Ah, so just for listeners that don't know, the rule of 90 is your age plus your years of service. So if this person is 58, they, that means they worked at least 32 years. 58 and 32 gets them to 90. Peg, can they take uh, distributions before 59 and a half on the rule of 90? There are several plans out there, Bruce, that have a 55 clause. So if you retire early, it's possible that you can take out distributions without the penalty. You should contact your custodian where your 403B is and ask that specific question. All right, Jane from Plymouth has this question. Hi, Peg and Bruce, thanks for your show. What is the income level where one's Medicare cost would increase for 2021? Also, what is the 2021 standard deduction for seniors? Um, uh, Peg, I, uh, before you answer, and I'll, I'll let you answer first, but I just wanna uh, clarify for people. People that don't know, obviously Jane knows, that when you're eligible for Medicare, there's actually four different parts of Medicare. Part A, hospitalization, that part is free. A lot of people that aren't eligible for Medicare yet think it's all free, but it's not. The biggest part of it, which is a replacement for your health insurance, Part B, that has a cost attached to it, and that's what Jane's asking about. That cost is driven by your income, and an important point here that that cost or Medicare Part B premium is driven by your income from two years prior. 
So whatever your Medicare Part B cost is in 2021, it's based on your 2019 income from your 2019 tax return. Then there's a Part C, which is optional, which is Medicare Advantage or Medigap insurance with a private insurer that covers the things that Medicare does not. And then there's a Part D, which is also optional with a private insurer to get additional coverage for prescription drugs. But what Jane is talking about and what most people are thinking of when they talk about Medicare, they're thinking of Medicare Part B. Yeah, so Part B is a single person. You have to be under 88000 uh, modified adjusted gross income, and then joint is 176000 This is in 2021. To, and then the next level is 111000 and 122000 Then it jumps up. The other okay. question was the standard um, standard on taxes. Married filing jointly, if you're both over 65, it's 27,800 in 2021, or just standard under 65, 25,100. This listener asks, related to long-term care, what do you suggest, a regular LTC policy or a chronic illness rider on a life insurance policy? Um, Peg, we're getting close to the end. So, again, the question, long-term care insurance, do this, long-term care or not, and long-term care combined with something else like a hybrid policy. What are your thoughts? Well, long-term care would be a yes for me if you have reasoning reasons for it. And I'd love to go through all those, but not today. And then riders, I'm not a huge fan of riders only because I've witnessed that they're very expensive when you tack them on to something else. If you qualify, I'd love to see you have traditional long-term care versus a rider. And then the question wasn't directly asked, but where my brain went, these hybrids, one of the biggest objections, uh, Rashini, to long-term care insurance is what if you pay these premiums and you die healthy and you never file a claim? So there's more of these hybrid policies now that combine life insurance and long-term care in the same policy. So if you never file a long-term care claim, at least there's a, there's a death benefit to your, uh, for your survivor so all the money's not lost. And I know we got to be getting... We are right on it. It's another great edition of Your Money. We'll be back next week. Remember, daylight savings, but we'll be back at its usual time. Just remember to set your clocks ahead. And if you want to ask questions during the week, call Peg and Bruce at 888-6-ADVICE. Peg, Bruce, and Rashini signing out. Make it a great week.